Welcome to the Davidson Day Community Podcast. My name is Pete Moore, Head of School at Davidson Day. Each episode, you will meet different members of our supportive and diverse community. You'll hear fascinating stories from parents, board members, alumni, and the wonderful people who work at Davidson Day. In this episode of the Davidson Day School Podcast, I had the pleasure of speaking with Jamie McMurray. Jamie is a former NASCAR driver and is currently an analyst for Fox NASCAR. He's also a parent and a trustee at Davidson Day. Jamie focuses on fitness and nutrition and completed his first marathon in 2017. The Jamie McMurray Foundation also supports Autism Speaks and other children's charities. Jamie, thanks for taking the time to chat with me today. I'm excited to be here. This is not something that when I first met you that I thought we would be doing, but we've become friends and it's nice to get to be here and and catch up. Thanks, mate. It's been fun just to learn more about you as I was sort of preparing for this. And so the first question I have is, where did you grow up and what are some of your most vivid childhood memories? So I grew up in a town, Joplin, Missouri. And if you're listening, the only reason you would know of Joplin is because an F5 tornado struck there in 2010. And a lot of time, you know, in the Midwest, uh, in the U.S., lots of tornadoes. And I remember being a kid and going out and watching them go by. It was just, it was just not a big deal. But, you know, a lot of times they they touch down in fields. They don't touch down in the middle of the city. And it happened in Joplin. Uh, And so it it was devastating. It made the national news. But I grew up in Joplin, and my mom was a... She taught learning disabled kids, K through third grade, fourth grade. And my dad was a, an auto parts salesman. He sold like race car parts. So yeah, I grew up in this little town in Missouri and just pretty normal upbringing. I can't let the tornado thing go past. And so you just would see them in the distance? Yeah. So, you know, when you grow up in the Midwest, there's tornadoes, not on a daily occurrence, but a weekly occurrence and tornado season. And, you know, you, we would literally be... So I grew up in this super small house. There was mainly just one bathroom. Uh, and so everybody used that. And what we would do is when the news would tell you the tornado had come on and you would hear the sirens outside, you would kind of watch the news and you'd realize that maybe you were safe. And then we would go outside and you could kind of watch the storm go by. And I remember watching more than one tornado blow by. And then if you thought you were in the path, we would get in the bathtub and my mom would take the mattress off of a bed and like drag it in there and she would throw it. I can't tell you how many hours I probably spent in a bathtub with a mat with my sister and a mattress over me. And my mom would be like almost sitting on it, right? Like just waiting on it to happen. Because my dad was out of town a lot, so he wouldn't be home for that. But yeah, I mean, it seems so crazy now, but that's what we did. That's amazing. All right. When did you first dream of becoming a professional driver? So my dad, like I said, he he sold parts, for, actually engine parts for race car engines. And he drag raced. He did a little bit of stock cars. He did some go-karting. I mean, I remember watching race with my dad and then him kind of, you know, having race cars at the house. And, you know, when you're a little boy, like it's pretty cool. And that's, you're like, I want to do that one day. Now the reality of getting to do it is, is a much different story, but you know, I got a go-kart three days before my eighth birthday. And I think we actually raised, I actually, I got it three days before because there was a race. And so we went out and raced that very first day. I mean, I remember everything in between, but I just always thought I was going to be, I always thought this is how this, I'm just going to grow up and be a race car driver one day. It's so, it's so awesome to think that even at that young, you're thinking this is just what I'm going to do. Yeah. And you know, I'll, I'll tell you, as I, you know, transitioned through racing, 
my sister owned a Mexican restaurant in our hometown. Uh, she actually married into a family that owned a Mexican restaurant. And I was a busboy there. And I remember graduating high school and all of my friends were, were going off to college. And I, I was not. And my mom was, a, I, I mentioned my mom was a, a teacher. And my mom knew that I wasn't very serious about school. And she's like, look, she's like, I'm not going to pay for you to, to go not participate. And so I was going to have like this year or so kind of figuring things out. And so all my friends go off to college and I'm a bus. Actually, I was a waiter at this time. By the time I turned 18, I got to be a waiter. And when I remember my friends coming home for like that first, like maybe Thanksgiving break and they would come into the restaurant to eat and they'd be like, oh, where are you going to school? And I just, I felt like I had like an L tattooed on my forehead because I'm like, well, I'm, I'm not. And they're like, well, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm racing, you know, and it's just like, oh, just so it was brutal, you know, just uncomfortable position. But the irony to that is, and I won't mention their name, but I clearly remember coming home about five years later when I had made it in NASCAR and I came home to visit my family and I went to eat at a restaurant and the same kid that had asked me about college had dropped out of college and was a waiter at a restaurant and I had come back and I'm, I just remember kind of having this moment. I was like, it's crazy how fast things like the roles reverse, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, and of course I, I didn't, I wasn't gloating. I just was like, man, I remember five years ago, you know, the roles were kind of reversed and I felt like you were on the right path and, and I wasn't. Yeah. And talking about paths, that's one of my questions is, what was the path that led you to become a NASCAR driver? So you start, you get your go-kart at eight, and then what happens after that? So I started racing go-karts in 1984, and around that time, IndyCar was the most popular form of, well, Formula One would be the most popular, but in America, IndyCar was the most popular. But it transitioned to NASCAR in the early 90s to where that became the most popular form of, of racing. I mean, I can't tell you that, well, yeah, I can. The path to do open wheel was much more expensive. Mm. When when you want to race, and you know, living here now, you probably see so much of this, but if you want to race stock cars, then you go to like a local track and you you race locally, where in the open wheels, it, it's about kind of finding the sponsor and, and you're actually on a bigger stage at a younger age. So to get into NASCAR was, an, I think, an easier path. And at the time when I started racing stock cars in the kind of early to mid nineties, Jeff Gordon had just come along and he was this young guy. And, and like, that's who I looked at, you know, I was like, man, like if that, that's who I want to be, right? Like he's this, yeah. he's this young guy and, and, you know, kind of a Southern older person sport and he's, he's making it. And that was always like, I just remember always watching him and, and being like, that's who I want to be one day. Did it coincide at all with Days of Thunder? Like I saw recently you tweeted that Fox was showing the making of Days of Thunder yeah. and you said like one of my favorite movies. Yep. And I remember seeing that as a kid in, in Australia, like I'm not hearing much about NASCAR. And then we all go to watch that because Nicole Kidman's an Australian and it's like, wow, yeah. she's in this movie with Tom Cruise. That's amazing. And then everyone gets out and like, I want to race NASCAR. Like it was just people, it, it had a yeah. global impact. Did that help propel it here at all? I mean, maybe that's Well, I was already racing. I don't mean with you, but I mean, this, you said the sport oh, overtook Indy. You know, I don't think so. I think the reason they made Days of Thunder is because NASCAR was on, was, was on the rise. I gotcha. And Tom Cruise was, I have to be honest, I have not watched that yet. I've DVR'd that because I, I, yeah, I, I want to watch it. I just haven't watched it yeah. yet. But what I've been told is that Tom was really into racing and he became friends with Rick Hendrick. And then he kind of spearheaded, I think, that that movie being made. But that is one of my, like, it really is one of my favorite movies. Like, I, I was in, do you remember Talladega Nights? Do you yes. Remember this? So yeah. I was in that. 
and I've never watched the whole movie because it was like Days of Thunder to me was real. Yeah. Like it was, I looked at it, I viewed that as a real movie. I'm sure if you were already at the NASCAR level, you didn't view that as a real movie, but I did because I was a kid, yeah. you know, and, and I, I thought it was incredible. Whereas Talladega Nights, I'd already made it, and and I'm like, this is just the dumbest movie ever. I, I can't even watch it. It's so dumb. Yeah. I know there's some good one-liners from it, but but I just, I was never into that. It was always a Days of Thunder for me. Yeah, that's funny. We will have people listening to this conversation who have followed NASCAR their whole life and others who know little about the sport. Can you give me a brief overview of a typical non-COVID season <laughs> how many drivers are there how many races and just how it's structured sure so uh typical years is we always start our season out at the daytona 500 which is kind of odd that you have your biggest race of the year as your first race it's 36 races and then there's a couple of like an all-star race and there's there's a couple of non-point races throughout the year so it essentially runs from the middle of February to the middle of November, a few weekends off in between, but it's pretty long, long stretch of going every single weekend. Lots of travel. I feel like people on the outside tend to say it's a, you know, a grueling season and it can if things aren't going well. But for the most part, I mean, like it, I like getting to go. I always enjoyed, you know, every single weekend getting to go. And if you had a good week, you wanted to go back to have another good week. And if you had a bad week, you wanted to go back to try to redeem yourself. You know, yeah. so it kind of went both ways. But yeah, so 36 races and from Florida to to San Francisco. So everywhere in between. And how many on a grid? So it's 40 now that they have on a grid. You qualify to determine your starting position. And then also where you qualify is when you get to pick your pit stall. Mm -hmm. It doesn't sound like a big deal, but it's a huge deal yeah. of where you pick that pit stall and who you have around you or who you don't have around you. Uh, yeah, so 40 cars. I read your first NASCAR win was only in your second race, and it was considered a huge upset. What was it like doing something so unexpected that early in your career? Yeah, it was the... So I had grown up... Up until, honestly, until that moment, I had either driven from my parents who, I, I don't want to say that we didn't have any money because we, we had money, but we didn't have money to race. Mm -hmm. And so you're always in really low tier equipment. And then I moved up to what is the, do you know what the truck series is? Which I've is, read about it just getting ready for this, but I'm not that familiar. Yeah. Now. So the truck series is, you know, like you would have, you know, double A AA and triple A baseball. The truck series is like two levels below the cup series, which is what we're <laughs> referring to in NASCAR. So I got a truck series ride, but again, it was with not very good equipment. And I did just well enough in that, that that kind of got me the next step. And so when I finally got in the car that I won with that night, it was the, it was only the second race I had run with a top tier team, like a, a really good car. And so, I mean, it was, it was unexpected. I mean, I think not just to media, but also to me, I mean, it was unbelievable, right? Cause I actually hadn't won in the two lower series yet. Cause I'd never really been in a good car. So it was pretty incredible. I think one thing that's hard for people to understand is when you're in the truck series or the Xfinity series, which are the lower levels, the races are like two to 300 miles is all they are. When you get to the Cup Series, a lot of them are 500 miles, and they take four hours to run. It's a long time. Like it's, and when it's only your second one, like it's twice as long as most of the races you've been in. And I just remember, you know, at the, getting ready to start that race, it had been rain delayed for like four or five hours, and I'm like, "Ooh, I gotta make sure I eat enough food because I know I'm gonna get hungry." You know, there's I'm I'm a warrior first off, but I, I you know, it's just a re you run and you run and you start in the daylight and it goes into dark, like 
you're like, oh my gosh, this thing's never going to get over with. And so then to be able to win after three and a half hours of, you know, kind of battling, it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's unbelievable. And how did your life change after that moment? Yeah, so when you hear people say, and I say it, like I'm on TV and I'm like, oh, it's a life-changing moment. <laughs> we say that, right? When, yeah. when, when great things happen to people. But your life doesn't change instantly. Like it's, it changes over the course of time. And I think you guide that ship. And you, you, know, you can change it immediately. But, but I think most grounded people know that that's not the right path. So, and, and the thing about racing is you can win one week and you go the next week and you run 20th. And yeah. so like you kind of want to win and then not race for a couple of months <laughs> so you can enjoy it. But I, you know, I, and did it change? It probably opened up opportunities for me one, two, three years down the road because people remembered that. I think at 26 to have that sort of amount of tension or pressure could be really difficult. I imagine it's easy to go the wrong direction. Like how did you continue making good decisions or take, make the most of the opportunities that present themselves. Yeah, no, I, I totally understand what you're saying. And I, I don't think there's one thing that sets you up for that. I think that your parents obviously are the, the start of that, but, and this is going to sound really uneducated, but I'm going to say it at that time, they had all of these shows on TV and it might've been on MTV and it was like, where are they now? And mm-hmm. it was these, these shows of people who became famous, got rich, maybe got addicted to drugs or gambling, like something, yeah. and then they're broke, right? Yeah. And I, I remember those were really popular as I was coming up. And and I just remember watching those. And I'm like, man, if I ever make it, like I'm I'm that's not ever going to happen to me. Yeah. And so I, I think a, a lot of things contribute to that. But I also am am a planner and a warrior mm-hmm. and a type A personality. Like I'm super structured. So I probably didn't have to worry about that anyway because I'm the guy that I just I'm always thinking like five years down the road. Yeah to my detriment, right? Like I, I hinder my life worrying about things that are out of my control that are five years away from me, but I'm like, well, I want to be sure I'm kind of prepared for that. Yeah. I really admire athletes' ability to succeed under enormous pressure. What's it like to be on the grid with 40 or so drivers, over 100,000 people in the stands and millions watching on TV? I just can't imagine, I mean, I, I know you work up to that moment, but just sitting there and what's the pressure feel like? Or you just feel like I'm prepared? Well, I, what's that moment like? So I think something that's 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 hard to relate when you watch a race on TV is in a normal year, not not this year, but in a normal year, you've you got to the racetrack on Thursday night, mm-hmm. so you stay the night Thursday night. You had practice on Friday, qualified on Friday, stay the night, got up on Saturday. You had more practice at the track, went to bed, and then by the time race morning got there, you've already been there for three days, <laughs> so. And then even though everybody all of a sudden shows up, like, it's cool, right? All these fans, it's really cool, but, but you've already been there. And you do it every single weekend, yeah. right? Like, we joked around, it's like the, the circus, right? Yeah. Like, we just, we come to town and, and, like, we're in the garage and people, we're like the zoo animals. We always joked around. <laughs> but I, I will say that the feeling of coming to a restart with two laps to go, if you're the leader or if you're in third or you're in fourth, that's a pretty incredible feeling yeah. of, of, and you, it's not only is everybody watching, you're like, they're either going to watch me do something spectacular or watch me step on my, my foot here. And so it, it's interesting because I get that same feeling running a local marathon that I do the Daytona 500. Like it's just, but it's also one of those feelings. And I think everyone has had it where you're like, kind of want to throw up. I'm really uncomfortable right now. 
I'm not ever going to do this again. And then as soon as it's over, you're like, I can't wait to do that again. Mm-hmm. Everything's on the line and it's, and you, you pause there. And how do you not project too far into the future instead of like, because I imagine you could think, well, if I, at that turn, I need to do this at that turn. I, well, sorry, I should ask even a better question. Are you doing that? Or are you just absolutely present in what, where you are, what you're doing? There's a lot of things going through your head. You know, when you come to like a restart like that, you're, the first thing is don't miss a shift. Don't spin the tires. If I don't do that, I'm going to side draft. It depends on which lane you're in. Am I going to side draft them? Am I going to pinch them off into the corner? Do I need to make sure I beat them in, you know, into one? Or if they beat me into one, can I get back to their, there's, there's just endless scenarios that can happen. And so I said that I was a warrior. You can't worry about all that because, mm-hmm. because it happens like, in a sec, you know, an instant, like, and you might have a plan and, it, and then the guy behind you doesn't push you and pulls out a line and then you're having to block him. And then all of a sudden the ideas that you had of what I was going to do, well, now I'm having to defend somebody else. Like you just can't prepare for that. Yeah. And that's, that's the difference in winners and losers or people that can, can deal with all the adversity that that's thrown at them right there. And how much is it conscious thought and how much is it just reacting to what's happening around you? Well, I think it's a little bit of both. There's clearly, I've been here before. I kind of know what to expect, but a lot of times those, those decisions just happen. Yeah. And so, and especially like if you've ever watched a race at Daytona or Talladega, when you're in the draft, it's just intuitive, right? Like you, and you, you almost have to think just one second ahead of whoever's behind you. Like mm. you almost, you have to anticipate, right? Like you see somebody coming in your mirror and you're like, I'm pretty sure they're going to go to the outside. So you'll start moving up just so that you, they can see, oh, he's already kind of blocking me. So I'm, I'm going to push him instead of passing him. So you, you kind of have to think, think ahead. And those type of tracks, Daytona and Talladega, where everyone's all bunched up physically are not hard at all. Like they're really big. They don't, they don't really put a load on your body. But mentally, when they're over, I remember like you get on the airplane afterwards, and I would just close my eyes. And my, you know, Christy Becker, you tired? And I'm like, no, I'm like, I'm just sick of thinking for a mm. second, right? Because you spend as much time looking in the mirror at the back of the car as you do the front, and it's all about anticipation and what are they going to do, or what, you know, there's just so much going through your mind that you're just, you don't want to sleep. You just want to stop thinking for a second. What's it like? doing something that you know hundreds of thousands of people millions of people wish they were doing do you ever think about that it's different now than it used to be it used to be that you know once you got somewhere there would be there was four or five teams that maybe wanted you and so you would you know try to pick which team you thought was maybe the best team to go with it's not like that now there's not as many teams and it seems like when somebody gets there they stay somewhere but I honestly never thought about that. I mean, because I, I did NASCAR for 16 years. I drove. And once I got through like my, I don't know, fourth or fifth year, I didn't think about that. And honestly, I think that's part of what kept me grounded everywhere is that it's not that I didn't think it was special what I got to do, but I just, I mean, I, I joke around when I would go do hospitality uh, visits before the races in like the suites up above, because you'd have to go up and just say hey, hi and kind of tell them what they, you know, what to expect today and give them a little breakdown. And people would be like, gosh, you know, like just tell us something extravagant. And I'm like, you got to understand. I was like, I'm going to race today. <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to get home tonight. And I said, when I walk in, I was like, my wife's going to tell me to take the trash out. I was like, that, that's going to be how my day is going to end today. Yeah. So 
it, though it's incredible to get to do, like you still, you're still a normal person, yeah. you know. You talked about being a planner and a warrior. I'm a planner and a warrior. And what strategies or rituals did you develop to help you perform over time or habits? I never felt like in anything that I was smart enough or as talented as others. But what I knew is that I could read about it or I could get up a little bit earlier than you or, or I could just work a little bit longer. And that sounds so cliche to say, but it's the truth. Like I, truth, I, yeah. I just, I get up super early and I, I get way more done before most people get out of bed. And I just have, I, I, my wife's like, why are you getting up? And I'm like, I don't know. But I was like, <laughs> I don't want to lay here anymore. Like I'm, I'm ready to get, get yeah. going. And I also, I've never wanted anyone to think that I was lazy. Mm. Like, and I don't know why that is, but when I went to do my TV the first time, I was so over the top with my notes and with everything that was there, they were like, Oh my God, like, who's this guy? Right. Like, but I'm like, I wanted them to know that I was going to put the time in or the effort in. And so I just, I always want to do the best at everything I can. When was a tipping point where you think, Oh wow, hard work and doing more than others will get me further. Yeah. Twenties in my twenties. Okay. I actually, I think probably a great example of that's being a waiter. Like yeah. I was a waiter and I, I knew that if I worked an extra hour that like, I would get all the tables at the end. Or if I got there earlier, I'd get... And so, you know, you, it was like five bucks a table. So I, mm -hmm. I'm like, man, if I can get five bucks a table, that's my deal. And so I was always willing to work more because I knew that I'd make more money. And mm -hmm. so, you know, I'm envious of people who money doesn't drive them. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I, I meet people who are like, man, I just want to move to an island. I don't really care if I have anything. I just want to hang out and stare at the ocean. And I'm like, man, I'll never be that person because yeah. I've always, since I was young, like always have saved all my money. And like, I'm like, well, I'm going to do this because I know I can, I always wanted to make more money. And it, it wasn't just about cash, but it was just about doing really well at something. Like mm -hmm. Christy gets, you know, so upset with me at times because my OCD is so bad about, I'll redo something 15 times just to make it perfect when it doesn't really matter, but it bothers me. And yeah. and like, I, I wish that I could be just more, relaxed and not yeah. bothered by little things. I go to bed every single night and I think about like, what's my goal tomorrow? Mm. And it, it might be like, it could be something really dumb, like clean the garage. Yeah. It could be, I mean, it might be something just pity at home, but most of the time it's not. But like, I go to bed every single night and I fall asleep. Like, okay. Like I've never went to bed at night and thought, I'm just not going to do anything tomorrow. Like I just, I don't do that. Like I, I don't know how, I don't know how I, I don't know what your your. I, I wish I could do that. I think, but like I just have never done that. Yeah, it's it's funny. The next question I have is, as I was saying in a, before we started this conversation, I've sort of been doing some stalking, healthily stalking, <laughs> learning about your career, and I watched the video of you winning the Daytona 500 in 2010. And at the end, the commentator said, "When you win the Daytona 500, it does not stay with you for the rest of the season, the rest of your career. It stays with you the rest of your life." Has it? Yeah, so true. Yeah. yeah. In what well, ways? Well, I mean, I'll tell you a great story, I think. Yeah. I hope you like the story. When I ran my first marathon, you take off, there's 2,000 people, and, you know, you run for like five miles, and, and at that point, you kind of realize who's at your pace, and, and, and you realize like, okay, well, this guy and this guy are, we're, we're together, right? Like, 
I don't know him, but like we're together. Now I also don't talk to people. Like I, I talk to you because like once you kind of get in my bubble or I feel comfortable, I talk. But if mm-hmm. I if I don't, like I just don't walk up to people and talk to them. Mm-hmm. I just I keep my head down. So I'm running along and and this guy starts talking to me and I'm like, oh man, I I, I want to be nice, but I also don't want to use a bunch of energy talking because I'm kind of <laughs> gassed right now. And so so he, you know, he's like, Hey, I'm, I'm Dave. And I was like, hi, Dave, I'm Jamie. And so he, he's like, how many marathons you done? I'm like, it's my first one. And he's like, oh man, it's my, you know, 15th. I'm like, oh, okay. And so we're running along and we end up like, it's just three people now. Like there's no one in front of us, nobody behind us. And there's this guy, Bob, I'm making a name up. So all of a sudden Dave starts talking to Bob and they're having a conversation. I'm behind them, but they're having a conversation and I'm kind of in it, but I'm not talking. And I hear Dave say, Hey, Bob what do you do for a living? And I, I'm like, they're going to ask me what I do for a living. And I was like, I can tell them that I race cars or I can tell them I'm a banker, like whatever. Mm-hmm. I, but I'm like, I know if I tell my race cars, that's going to start a conversation. Right. And so, so Bob says, I'm an investor. Well, Dave, what do you do? And Dave's like, I'm, I'm a banker. And, and they both kind of turn around, look at me and they're like, Hey Jamie, like, what do you do for a living? And I was like, well, I, I race cars. And they were like, oh, and they, they kind of turn around and I'm like, oh, that went great. I'm like, they didn't say a word. And so then one of them says, what do you race? Or no, they said, have you ever raced with the big boys in NASCAR? And I was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and all of a sudden I realized that Bob is like now turned around looking at me more than he's looking ahead. And we're running, like we're running. And he hits Dave and he's like, Dave, he's like, Oh my God. He goes, that's Jamie McMurray. He goes, he won the Daytona 500. And I remember at that moment, I'm like, it's just every, like everybody knows that person. Yeah. Right. And, and so it does stick with you forever because I can go to a, a room full of people that have never been to a NASCAR race. And if you've won or to any kind of race, if you've won the Indy 500 or the Daytona 500, you have something to talk about with everybody. Cause mm-hmm. everybody has a story about, when Dale Earnhardt won his race or, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. so there's, I think that is a kind of a life-changing moment. So when you cross the line, are you aware of the magnitude of it? It was cool watching you jumping out of the car and doing everything. And it, it was, are you aware that's a life-changing moment? At the end of the year before that, I was with a different team yes. and my sponsor left. Mm-hmm. And so I almost didn't have a job heading into that year. I knew I was going to be driving something, but I didn't know what. And so... I was really thankful just to be there. And I think everybody's been through that where you, you're like, gosh, I feel like I'm doing everything right, but things aren't going the way I, mm-hmm. I want them to. And I remember being content and saying like, well, if this is the path, then I'm just, I'm happy with that. I'm going to figure out how to make it work. So I ended up getting this opportunity. And that's part of the reason that I got so emotional afterwards is because I had put in all this work throughout my career. And then, you know, you kind of have this low, like the lowest of lows where you're like, I might not work anymore or get to drive a car anymore. And then you win one of the biggest races in the world. And, and like all of that is going through my mind the whole time. Right. And wow. so then when they, and I think I, I, I did cry and I'm a crier anyway. Like I, I, when I get happy, I cry. But the reason I cried is because I was like, you know, I was so blown away that I'm like, wow, like it's all, it all worked out, you know? And then you're there with, you know, I was there with Christy. We just, we'd only been married for a, a year, not even a year, I think at that time. And, you know, you, you have these moments like, oh my gosh, I think it's all going to work out and I think it's going to be okay. My heart stopped when I saw the video of your barrel roll during the final practice at Talladega in 2018. What are you thinking as your car becomes airborne? So when your car 
lifts like that. And I'm sure it didn't get quiet, but it seemed like it got quiet. And people always ask you, are you scared? And absolutely not. Not scared. I, I mean, like, I'm scared of heights and deep water. <laughs> I mean, just terrified of it. But I've never been scared in a car yeah. until that happens. Oh. And here's why. Because almost oh, every situation racing, if you get scared, you can let off the gas. Mm. Or you can say, I'm going to get in a different position. I'm going to slow down. But when that happens, you're just along for the ride. And and you know that the outcome's probably not good. And the first few things that went through my mind were, I literally, it was the second lap of practice. So the car is completely full of fuel. And I'm like, oh my God, if this catches on fire, I'm like, it's full of gas. Like it'll be a, it'll be an enormous fire. And I'm like, I just remember as I started rolling, I closed my eyes because I always close my eyes when I wreck because I don't, I don't want to lay down at night and see it. Mm. Right. So I've always closed my eyes. Like right before I hit the wall, I always close my eyes. Cause I'm like, I don't know. I don't want to know what that looks like. So as it was rolling, I remember it rolled like three or four times. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's got to be over. And I opened my eyes and I, I was still flipping. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's not over yet. And finally, when I realized it stopped, I didn't know which way I was, right? Like I was so disoriented. I'm like, am I right side up? Am I upside down? And I was like, I got to get out of here because I know there's lots of oil. I know that's full of gas. I know that the car's destroyed. And I was really fortunate that it it did land on a four. And I was able, I got out pretty quick. But the reason I was scared is because about six months before that, yeah, maybe six months before that, I was in a really bad wreck at another track and the car caught on fire. And when we talk about catching on fire, you see cars, there's be flames coming out, but normally you don't feel that in the car, but I had the fire in the car with me and it wasn't just fire, but there was smoke. And I remember it happened really quick and I was like, oh, I need to get a deep breath because I'm not going to be able to breathe in a second. And when I got ready to take my deep breath, I couldn't because of the smoke and I was still moving. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm still going like 80 miles an hour. Like I got to get stopped. I got to get my window net down. I got to get my seatbelts off. Oh, wow. And you're trying not to panic, but you're full on, you're panicking. Yeah. And I remember when I got out, I'm like, I've been racing for 15 years. I'm like, I've never been on fire. And I'm like, that was scary. That was super scary. Cause what if, what if, what yeah. if? And then when I was flipping, I'm like, I know I can't get out of this upside down. It's really hard to get out of a car upside down. And so I was scared at that moment just because you just don't know. You yeah. don't know what's going to happen. Did it change you having kids? Like do you, you're driving at all? Like, just cause I mean, you have so much, to, I mean, you always have so much to lose, but suddenly you're. Yeah. But the opposite the, of what you're going to ask. Okay. It's the, you would think that you'd be like, well, I don't want to get in a wreck because I have a wife and a kids. But the reality was, is I was so worried about my kids being proud of me. Mm. Like I never thought about getting hurt. I yeah. just was worried about doing well. Yeah. And and partly because my career was more successful in like 2010 in that, in that time than it was at the end, okay. like probably like most people. And I wanted my son to be like, because he's older and he was really into racing. And I remember every race, I'm like, I want to do well because because you spend your whole life, like for me, I spent my whole life trying to make my mom and dad proud. Yeah. And so, and then all of a sudden you have kids and it's not that you don't want to make your mom and dad proud, but that transitions into like, I want my kid to think I'm cool, right? Yeah. And so every race, I'm like, I want to do well because yeah. I want to go home and I want him to be like, yeah, dad, you know? So it's just crazy how like, I wasn't worried about getting hurt. I was like, I just want to do well so that he thinks I'm a cool dad. It's like such incredible motivation. Yeah, it is. It's the ultimate motivation. Yeah. When did you start the Jamie McMurray Foundation and what inspired you to do so? Yeah, so I had a niece. She passed away like, uh, 2015. I'm so sorry. That's okay. 
she um, was autistic and she was born in 1997. And when, when autism in like the late 90s, early 2000s, if you asked anybody about autism, they would immediately say Rain Man. They'd be like, oh, you drop the toothpicks on the floor and he can tell you how many there are. Or, And I, I actually, as a side note, I met the guy that the movie Rain Man was based on wow. at, uh, because I was doing stuff for autism. Mm. So I went to this big convention and, and I met this guy and it was incredible. He, he walks up to me, you know, a little socially awkward guy. He's like, uh, hey, Jamie. And I was like, hey, how's it going? And, and he said, well, well, he's like, what year were you born? And, and I said, oh, 1976. He's like, day. And I was like, oh, June 3rd. And he's like, he's like, this is how many, how many, you know, days are you old? Like, you know, the mat, like it was ridiculous, right? It was incredible. But everybody thought that that's, if you had an autistic child, that's what, you know, oh, she, she can do incredible math. When the reality is there's all different ends of the spectrum. And so when it came time to do something for a foundation, I wanted to do something that registered with me. And, and I watched my sister and the difficulties that she went through yeah. raising a special needs child. And so we got to do a lot of great stuff with the foundation and meet a lot of incredible kids. And the whole NASCAR community has done a lot for autism. Uh, one of the producers actually at Fox, uh, a guy named Artie Kempner, uh, he has a son who, who's on the autism spectrum. And Lots of cool stuff we've got to do over the years. So, it was, yeah, it was a lot of fun. It's really powerful that, that you did that, that you sort of took the opportunity, the platform that you had to help in that way. Yeah, and you know what what's, what stinks is in life, the reality is, is that I didn't do a good enough job at that when I had the power because I was too busy. Mm. Where now I do, but I, you know what I mean? Like yeah. you wish you could figure out like now I could do some incredible stuff with it, but, but you just don't have the, you know, the, the, the power to, to do all that. Yeah. What is the book or books you most frequently recommend to others? If I'm going to be honest, I haven't read anything but training books well, in training forever. Book? Metabolical Efficiency is the last book that uh, that I read. I, I am really into like figuring out how to fuel your body. Yeah. And so I, I, so I started reading and, and I became a little weird about my, my metabolic efficiency as I read it, but good book. And when did you get into that? 2017, 18. Okay. I've been, yeah. I mean, like I'm, I'm in a ditch right now on my eating, but, mm-hmm. but once I find a marathon to train for again, I kind of yeah. get all into that again. What are some things you love doing in your free time besides cleaning the garage? Yeah. I honestly just hanging out with my kids. Yeah. Like that's, that's my free time. Like just, yeah, just kids. But you mentioned running. Are you doing? I, of- I run every single day. Okay. But I run early in the morning. And then after, afterwards, when we have free time, we, we just kind of hang out. Yeah. And if you could learn a new skill, what would it be and why? Maybe how to relax more. That would be my skill. <laughs> Have you ever tried anything like yoga? Uh, a little bit. I, yeah. I actually used to do that every morning. I had a trainer that, I mean, it was like 10 minutes every morning, but yeah. I just, yeah, maybe one day. What would be a typical day when you got up? Like you say you get up early. What are you doing in that morning stretch? Like you know, stretch. I mean, are you before your kids get up and yeah. stuff? Yeah, you go. You're going running, and how for how long? I um. So I get up between five and six, sometimes four thirty, but mm-hmm. normally between just five and six. And I I haven't had to set an alarm in forever. Like yeah. I just I just wake up, but I also go to bed early. Like mm-hmm. I go to bed by ten every single night. 
And I run between eight and 20 miles a day. It just depends on like if I'm in training, like right now I'm not training for anything. So I run between eight and 11 miles a day right Mm now. And then Christy normally takes our kids to school, but sometimes I'll bring the kids to school. And then Zoom is my life right now. So uh, if if I'm doing TV that day, we normally have a, a, a production meeting via Zoom uh, to kind of discuss everything. Yeah, and then if I have to work, work normally doesn't start till 3.30 or 4 in the afternoon because we shoot at night during the weekdays. And then we, we're like old people. We eat dinner like at 5.30 at our house. So like, we do too. yeah, like, because, because you have to take a bath and get ready for bed yeah. shortly after that. So our, our days, I feel like start early, but they also end really early. Yeah. This is an aside. I'm going off to the rapid fire thing, but can you just tell the story about the set that you mentioned this a while ago when we, we were talking that it's, you there's all these awesome graphics behind you, but you can't see them. Yes. It's just green behind you. What's that like? So uh, the set that we have is very similar to like what the weather guy uses where mm. he stands in front of like a, you know, a 10 by 10 green board and it's the, you know, the United States that he's pointing to, but he's actually looking at a TV screen in front of him and, and, and he just kind of knows where to point. We are in this room that is, it, it's probably 40 foot wide, 40 foot deep, 40 foot tall or 30 foot tall. And the whole thing is just like monster energy green. It's just this gnarly green color. And we just stand in the middle of it. Like they have little pieces of tape on the floor of where we know to go. But then around us, it's crazy. They can, they generate us. Sometimes it looks like we're standing on a balcony. Sometimes there's race cars behind us. Sometimes it's actually real video footage of the racetrack. It's unbelievable you know, like when you're there shooting, it's like just a room with some people standing in it and you're talking. And then when you go watch the show, it's amazing, like w- the set that they're able to put us in. Yeah. In the last five years, what new belief, habit, or behavior has most improved your life? Man, these aren't rapid fire. These are deep. <sighs> Maybe I need to rebrand them. Oh, my goodness. I don't have one for that. Okay. What about running? Have you always been a runner? No, that's fair. It, I, I, I've always been into training, but running has definitely been something that, look, and anyone who's into running or working out will tell you this, it truly does make you feel better. Yeah. And it's so hard to get over that hump of people are like, oh, I, you know, my knees hurt. Or, but man, once you can get through that, like it's a life-changing daily routine that if you can find the time to do it, that's so worth it. I started running in 2017 and I was not running a distance. I was running, I started because I had a trainer and he was like, I want you to run two and a half minutes from home and Mm -hmm. then turn around, come back. And I'm like, two and a half minutes. He's like, yeah, two and a half minutes. So I did that for like a week and a half every other day. And then he's like, let's go five minutes. And then I'd run five minutes Ah. from home and five minutes back. And I was super sore, right? Like I, you know, just super incredibly sore. But I started that, and then I worked up over over like the next year. I was running like thirty miles a week, mm. which is quite a bit, you it know. It is a bit. But like I run eighty miles a week now. It's wild. And it's just normal. Yeah. But but you have to. It's a mindset. Like yeah. I, again, like I told you, I go to bed every night, yeah. and I think about what I'm doing the next day. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna run twenty miles tomorrow. Like it's a mindset of kind yeah. of. You can't just wake up and be like, I think I'll run twenty yeah. miles. <laughs> you got to be ready for that. What advice would you give someone wanting to become a professional driver, race car driver? Yeah. I I mean, again, this is going to sound cliche, but you just can't ever give up. And I don't think Mm. when someone tells you no, I think you just have to find a way. I would say that when I came along, you didn't have to bring money with you. And I would say now ability is incredibly important, but finding that a sponsor or a partner that will come along with you is probably more important than anything. 
So sales sounds like it's incredibly important. The ability it's, to sell is just incredibly important. Yeah, I mean, like that's that's ultimately, you know, a lot of people that are in the sport right now. It's not that they don't have the talent, but they also have a, a partner that likes them. Mm. And so when they go to the owner, they're like, "Hey, we really like Pete, and we'd like Pete to stay in our car, even if his performance isn't a ten. We're okay with that because he's good for our brand." What a difference! Yeah. What inspires you is our last question. My kids, my family, being the provider. Like I say, I worry about everything, and it's a big responsibility. I think you know, being the dad or the husband, and navigating through all the obstacles of life, and and always wanting to make sure that you can provide. So I, I honestly, I think that just not wanting to fail is what inspires me. You've been listening to the Davidson Day School Community Podcast, which is hosted by Pete Moore, head of school at Davidson Day. The podcast is recorded on campus in the heart of the Lake Norman area. If you have any comments or questions, we'd love to hear them. Email your thoughts to podcasts at davidsonday.org. That's podcasts at davidsonday.org.